Good, good. Good to see everyone and uh, grateful in the midst of everything that is going on in our world right now that we can be together in the Lord's house, that we can spend some time in prayer, and that we can spend time in His Word. Um, And I just encourage us keep digging in deeper and more and more and to keep praying. Um, And again, as I've shared before, just heart to be in prayer for the salvation of those that do not know Jesus, that don't have that relationship, that they would come to know him, that they would come to have that relationship. Um, And we have praise to to rejoice in. Uh, Pastor David's back, which we're very excited about, and the trip went Truly beautifully, so we are going to get to hear about it on Sunday, which I'm looking forward to, and uh, it's, it's a reminder to us of the work that's going on for, for the Lord's glory, no matter what, um, and, and continuing to go. So last week, um, and before we do that, actually, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we can come into your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the gift of salvation, Father God. And Lord, we pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you, Lord. We pray that you minister to the families, Lord, in Israel, the families that are waiting for updates on hostages, Lord, the loss, the grief, the pain, the suffering, Lord, that you minister as only you can, Lord, unto salvation, Father God. And Lord, we just pray for this country, Lord God. We pray for the Jewish people in this country and around the world, Lord, where there's fear permeating, Father God. We pray, Father God, for salvation, Lord. We pray for your church to stand boldly for you, Lord, to be that light on a hill that people would know there is the blessed hope, Lord, and look unto that. Thank you for this time that we can take now, Lord, to dwell in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we got to see David's reflection in the part of Psalm 18. We're still in Psalm 18, and Lord willing, tonight we'll take Psalm 18 home and we'll have finished Psalm 18. Uh, But when we looked at that, we saw David's reflection on his faithfulness to God's way, his faithfulness to living, seeking what the Lord wants, his faithfulness to being correctable, for David being yielded, for him trusting God. And we also got to see how he embraced God's way in that he trusted God's timing and he trusted the way that God went about having things done and coming to reality. Because we saw his way as perfect. And that's what David reminded us of. We saw David remind us of his word being proven. And we saw that shield that comes from trusting and faith in God. Now, we had our charge last week, and to check in on the charge, one of the things that we were looking at is what sins do we have in our lives that get in the way? I know I I say it as a joke sometimes, but we're doing more open heart surgery each Wednesday with this group. But there was that charge to go through that again, to have the Lord search your heart. And with that, to really ponder, are you correctable? Do you receive the Lord's correction or not? Can he come to you with correction? When you open the word of God, are you open to correction and conviction? 
Or do you just want to have that relationship where I get what I want out of this and that's that? We also were looking at verses 25 to 27 where we saw merciful, blameless, pure, humble. And we looked at Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, how we should be, how we should act. And we're reminded it's a heart issue. God sees our heart. God responds to our heart. So with that, that question of how is your character? Are you allowing his refining? Are you allowing him to chisel you, to mold you for his glory, knowing sometimes that molding, that chiseling is not going to feel so great, but we go through that for him. And verse 30 of this precious text, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. I know I may sound like a broken record of late, but are you anchoring in the word of God? We just saw this past weekend where we were looking, is the word of God sufficient for you? Is that enough? Are you anchoring in the word that you can know him more, that you can trust him more, that you can share who he is more? And to really go through and ask yourself, take stock of your time. Would you say of late, yeah, I'm I'm in the word of God more. I'm digging in more. Or are you hearing, dig in more, anchor more? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, amen. But is it not happening? Take that time to look. What's your relationship with your Bible, with the Word of God? What value do you put towards the Word of God? Are you letting that be what you meditate on day and night? Go back to Psalm 1. Remind yourself of the root system, the being by the living waters, being planted firmly. One way to do that, being in the word. Do you know him more from being in the word? Now tonight we're going to go on. We're going to be starting in verse 31, hopefully going all the way to verse 50 and closing Psalm 18. And the title I give tonight's message is, You Have, I Will. You Have, I Will. And in the passage, in the verses that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see the unique supremeness of God alone. God alone. Who is God? God alone. We're going to see the supremeness of him. We're going to see how one can acknowledge everything they have, everything they've done. All is done by God's grace and God's hand. We're going to see one who's able to do that, where David's strength, his salvation, his perseverance, his skill, his enthronement, his character, all is by God. All is from God. We're going to also see the value of obedience and the call to live a life that is obedient to God. And something we have to think about, what is my relationship with obedience to God? And we're going to also see the fruit of starting the way David started. Remember verse 1 of this text. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We're going to see what happens when you start with that heart that's able to say all those things, how you can end. You can end How we're going to see when we go through the text. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. 
We're going to see the journey of how one is able to do that because they're anchored on the rock. So let's dig in. Verse 31. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? So right there, again, we've gone through, we've seen David go through who he sees God is. We see him then paint the enemies that he have. We see him go through the deliverance that he's had. We went through more last week of seeing him recounting his faithfulness. And he gets to this place now in verse 31. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? There's only one God. There's only one rock. You can't compare any other deity, false deity that somebody wants to present or bring, he's saying here, to God. There is one supreme God. And for us, with the whole counsel of the word of God, when we look at that, if we turn together to Matthew chapter 7, our Savior reminds us of the foundation that we need to have. Because again, to be able to say, who is God except the Lord? Who is God? Who is a rock except God? To be able to say that, it's a heart that's anchored. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. That heart for salvation with everything that's going on in our world, this is something I just pray for because if you see, that house does not fall because it's founded on the rock. No matter what comes, no matter what attacks, no matter what storm comes, it's anchored, it's standing on the rock of salvation. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus sent us these things that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Because we know when we see later on in this gospel, the great commission, he has all authority because all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And that's the rock to be anchored on. That's the rock that David has faithfulness in, in God. And for us, that rock is Jesus Christ. That rock is knowing in Christ alone, only through him, only through Jesus, that is the only one. Then verse 32. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. God gave David strength. God gave David skill. God helped David in time of war. Go through 2 Samuel 8, homework assignment. Read it later. And you can see the examples as he perseveres. And he says in this, it is God. It is God who. It's not me who does this. It's not anything. God gives it to him. And that has to remind us before we even look at that list again, do you give glory to God for the gifts and skills you have in your life? And do you keep doing that over time? Because remember the context of this psalm. We see it here. We see it in 2 Samuel 22. At the end of his life where he's recounting all that he has gone through with the Lord. Are you giving glory for those gifts and skills? Verse 32, it is God who makes, who arms me with strength. His power comes from one, God. Makes my way perfect. Who guides? God. 
He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He gives the ability and sets me on my high places. Advancement that David gets given by God. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. How does he battle God? How do we battle? Acts 1.8 we keep looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we battle. And in this, again, who gives us the Holy Spirit? God, Jesus. So when we see this, he's reminding all of the skills that he has, it is God. And we have to remember, ask ourselves, what is your, it is God who, dot, dot, dot. It is God who saved me from whatever you came from in salvation. It is God who provided dot, dot, dot. It is God who gives me the strength to go talk to that person that I don't want to. It is God who gives me the ability to endure Thanksgiving table where people look at me as the weirdo believer, but I'm standing strong on the word of God. Whatever it is, recount it, remember it, give him praise and glory for that. This is a song of victory. Give him the glory for that. Now, when we also look at this, we have to realize we have a parallel to what he's painting here, to this power, to this ability, to the things that are given to him by God to go into battle. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We know this well. Men, we were just looking at this last night in the context of contending for the faith. But we've got to remember what we have to do this battle because it is God who gives us the word of God. It is God who gives us the Holy Spirit to help us rightly divide the word of God. It is God who gives us, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where does it start? Strength comes from who? God. The power of might comes from who? God. Where did David start his song of victory? I love you, O Lord, my strength. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Men, we remember last night when we looked at this, we talked about the fact that it doesn't say put on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And when you look at this verse, go through it and ask yourself, how did I do today? I'm putting on the armor of God. Did I put on the whole armor? Because the charge isn't to put on a piece of it. It's the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principles, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of all of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. The strength to stand comes from what? God. Who? It is God who gives us the armor of God. And then we see, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Saints, can our prayer be for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Israel, that are in Gaza, the the few that are there, that they're putting on the whole armor of God. 
And in that, that they're praying. And in that, that they may open their mouths boldly to share the gospel. And can we recall and remember, it is God who's given us this armor of God to put on the whole armor. And may we put that on every single day, putting on the whole armor. Now, if we turn to 2 Corinthians 10, the spiritual war Paul writes of in, in, in the same way here. And when we look at verse 3 here, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Verse 4 now. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now think about who we're seeing in our psalm. David, 20 years a fugitive, 20 years going through this run and doing, could have felt like a stronghold that would not be done. David leaned on God. David trusted God because he put the spiritual battle first. The carnal that we see here that's being talked about, it's not weapons that we're talking about. It's manipulative, deceitful things of those exposing at that time with Corinthians the word that's coming forth that Paul is bringing. And when we think of David, who's trusting God, and we think of Saul, not so much trusting God. And we think of David, he didn't take a strategy of usurping it, of sneakily getting that throne or doing it a way that he wanted to. He had faith. We see it time and time again, trusting God, trusting in him. And when we think of the context of this passage we're in in Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians were relying and admired the carnal. And so we think about the armor of God that we just saw, that righteousness, that breastplate of, uh, sorry, the belt of truth first. When we think of the belt of truth, that's juxtaposed against manipulation and lies. The carnal or the spiritual. When we think of the breastplate of righteousness, there's the righteousness of God. It is God who gives me righteous. It is God who makes me righteous. Or the image of success. Our world is all about success. I challenge us, don't care about success. Care about being Christ-like. That's where we care. The shoes of the gospel of peace to fight versus smooth-talking words that twist and turn to get what they want. The shield of faith versus fake power. I got this. I have faith in myself. I can do this. That's that's the juxtaposition. The helmet of salvation. God being the deliverer versus lording authority or you thinking I can save myself. I can deliver myself. And the sword of the spirit being the word of God versus human schemes and programs. And when we think about that Double line there that's going on. David, where was the faith and trust? In God. David, humble obedience to God. Relying on God. And as we think about striving for that level of obedience, striving of that level that we too can say the same words that David says, it is God who dot, dot, dot. We have the prime example of the mind we strive for. Turn to Philippians 2. We know this well, Philippians 2, verse 5. 
Because we have the whole armor of God. It is God who gives us the armor of God. It is God who gives us the ability to recognize that we're not fighting carnal things. And it is God who gives us through the Holy Spirit the ability to have access to the power to fulfill what we read in Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name is, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. David was anchored in God. We, with the whole counsel of the word of God, saints, our anchor is the word, our anchor is Christ. It's not about success. It's about Christ-likeness. It's about being like our Savior, being like our King, that we then too realize it's He who arms me with strength. It's He who makes my way perfect. It's He who makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. It's He who teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. That's where we need to be. And we go on in verse 35, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. We saw, again, what we have of leaning on, our anchor and the armor of God, our anchor in the mind of Christ. That's where we need to be, our anchor in leaning on that humble servant Savior, Jesus. And what can be tricky sometimes within culture when we think of that idea of that tender humility, we can say, well, that's kind of weak. But we have to pay attention to the end of verse 35. Your gentleness has made me great. Not your ferocious fire of hailstone and coal, which we saw earlier in this. We saw that in God's deliverance, but that's not what made David great. David saw his greatness come from God's gentleness. The nature of humans, we crave spectacle, we crave show. Yet the thing that God uses to make David great is his gentleness. God showed David gentleness and David was able to then show that gentleness to others. Think of David's life. Despised by family members, neglected, alone, tending to the sheep. God gentleness ministers to him think of what we've seen in the other psalms enemies abound all around him but where did he find comfort in the gentleness of god psalm 3 8 salvation belongs to the lord your blessing is on your people psalm 4 8 i will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone O lord make me dwell in safety and psalm 5 11 but let those who rejoice in you Put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. We see time and time again that gentleness. How else did David see the gentleness of God? Think of the friendship with Jonathan. 
for the Lord to put that friendship there. Think of the holy bread given at the tabernacle as he's fleeing from Saul. Think of what we saw when we studied and looked at Abigail and Nabal. And it kept keeping David from destroying a man and a whole family. Think of the gentleness of God given to him to have the self-control twice. He could have killed Saul. He could have been done. Boom, he's gone. I'm king. But think of the gentleness there. The gentleness of God's protection of him. The gentleness of preventing David from fighting on behalf of the Philistines against Saul. God's gentleness is seen over and over and over again in the life of David. His long-suffering, his gentleness. And when we remember that, saints, what's your list of God's gentleness in your life? Have you gone through and thought through my life? Where's the gentleness of God that's enabled me to grow in him? Where has he been long-suffering with me? Where has his gentleness been displayed? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. Where do you see that? Because remember, the world's great and God's great, they don't line up very well. Okay? Because the world's great, what is it about? Royalty, it's about money, it's about wealth. Social media for you young folks, it's about how many followers you have, how many people are with you, how cool are you. Now you can be a social media influencer. And guess what? You can make bank being an influencer. But where's your soul? Where's your eternal state? The world's great doesn't match God's great. So also when we think about this greatness, how do you define great? And how do you, when you say to someone, that's great, or you're doing a great job, son, how are you defining great? Is it greatness from the gentleness of abiding in King Jesus, or is it greatness by the world's standards of success, when for the believers, we aren't for success, we're for Christ-likeness? And I'm going to tell you, if you're striving to be Christ-like, there's going to be fruit from that that's successful. But again, that mindset of thinking about what is it to be Christ-like. Going on, verse 37. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets." Now that comes right after we just saw the portrait of it is God who dot, 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 gave him a strength, gave him the ability to do this. And God had empowered David to fight as a warrior. It goes beyond just the defeat of Saul. It goes so beyond that. King of Israel, a stake in the region as king of Israel. David's faith in God gave the door for God to reign and work through him for his glory. And the key of what David had was faithful obedience, taking God at his word, not challenging it. And we've looked at it. When we looked last week at his faithfulness, it doesn't mean he was sinless. No, 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 no. I'll say a name, Bathsheba. He was not sinless. But guess what? Repentance is is part of following God and taking God at his word. David trusts God with his whole heart. We saw that in one of them. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. 
It's a trust that's the full being, all of him. Question for you, you right now as you are, are you a vessel that God can truly work through for his glory? Or are there pieces where you're in the way? Are there those things that are being held to or those things that keep you from being able to let him do the work he wants to do through you for his glory? Because guess who we were made by? God. Guess who we were made for? God. It's all about him. Are you that vessel that can then do that, that can then be there for him? Or are you on the side of these? Look at verse 40. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save. So we see here those folks that are coming for him, those folks that are against, they're crying out. They're in extreme situation. And then look who they even cry out to, even to the Lord, but he didn't answer them. And you could look at that and try to paint a picture. Well, that's, that's why I'm not looking at your God. Look at that. They cry out to him and he doesn't answer. Because guess what? When your heart is that wicked, when your heart is that deceitful, you're not praying the right prayer for God to hear you unless it's a prayer of repentance and for forgiveness for your sins. He will hear that prayer. And then he will hear every prayer after that because you're his. You are his. And it's, again, as I think of the context of our world right now, when I look at this text of David and the king of Israel that David would be leading to the Davidic line that our King Jesus comes through, and that's where my heart again breaks, salvation. And the enemies of God's people, may they come to that place to be heard by God in prayer because they're repenting for salvation. May they get to that place. Verse 43, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people, you have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Now, one thing to realize with this, the tone here, let's be clear. David isn't going through this relishing, look at how powerful I am. They do this, they do that, they do this. No, context, folks. He's talked about all of the things that God has given him. And now he's saying, because of all of the strength you've given me, the ability you've given me, what you've done, look at what's going on here. You delivered me from the people. You delivered me from the strivings of the people. He's delivered from Saul. And guess what? He was also delivered from the people who were not in immediate support of him. Do a dive on 2 Samuel chapters 2 through 5. You'll see those things there where the Lord continues to preserve him, to keep him, to deliver him from those who are like, I don't know how I feel about this King David. You have made me head of the nations, king of Israel, the regional stakehold, a people I have not known shall serve me because of that regional stakehold. And if we turn to Isaiah 55 and this beautiful book of Isaiah's prophecy, we get a homage, a, a tribute to David that we can't ignore. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you, you shall run to. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So when we see this, the sure mercies of David in verse 3. Think of the mercies that were given to David, sparing his life. 
Think of the mercy given when he was guilty of murder and adultery. There is still blessing. He was preserved. He was guided. And the sure mercies, because God did not give up on David. And he's a witness to the people. Because David had a real relationship and a true experience with God that he could witness and tell the people of Israel about. And notice what David was. A leader and commander for the people. Doesn't say of the people. A leader and commander for the people. Spiritual, political, military, for the people. Not of. Because David, what was his heart about? It was after God. It's about that heart. And then verse 5, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The ultimate fulfillment that will come through the Davidic line of the millennial reign of King Jesus. So again, it's important to put what we're seeing of David's deliverance in the context of full scripture. Because for us with the word of God, there's that tie, there's that line to King Jesus. And that should excite us. That should give us hope. Then verse 44, back in our text. As soon as they hear me, hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. And that obedience that he's talking about, again, it's nothing David did special to get that obedience. It's coming. But if we think about what we just looked at in Isaiah, there's that ultimate king, King Jesus. Can't help but ask, as soon as you hear King Jesus say something, do you obey? Where are you with that obedience? Because again, as soon as they hear of me, they obey me. Put that in context for King Jesus now, saints. Is that you? I want to trust God. Guess what? Trusting God is obeying him. I want to love God. You know how you love God? You obey him. I want to worship God. You know how you worship God? You obey him. I want to serve God. Guess how you serve God? You obey him. I want to exalt God. Guess how you exalt God? You obey him. I want to glorify God. Obey him. I want to live for God. Obey him. I want to share the gospel. Obey him. We've got to have obedience as a default to our God. And to check ourselves as soon as you hear him say something, do you just do it right away? Is it right away that you just do it? Or is it, Lord, I hear, okay, I, I have that conviction. Great, I'm going to go to Five Guys and then we'll do some other things. I have some errands to run and we'll talk about that in a few months, Lord. No, obey. Be like that for our king. Now, in the context of all of this, verses 1 of this psalm to 45, I won't read them all right now, but 1 through 45, give him the ability to land at verse 46. And again, if we look at what it starts with, I'll read two of those verses. I will love you, O Lord, my strength, verse 1 of this psalm. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Then we get to verse 46. The Lord lives. Look at that first. Lord, capital, personal relationship. The Lord lives. I've gone through this journey. I have been delivered. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. That rock that he started this psalm with. Blessed be that rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. He can't get there at that end place where he's getting at the end of this. 
if it doesn't start with I love you, God, my strength. If it doesn't start with that relationship with God being my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, my trust, my shield, my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. There can be a lot of my in your relationship with Jesus when all your my's are about him. There can be. But it has to start there. And saints, that's where, remind us, the heart of your salvation. Think of that moment when you first knew Jesus, when you surrendered, and when the first two verses of this psalm are so true. We all, you remember that. When you, we talked about that last week, when you first get saved and you're first experiencing Jesus and the word. How many of you felt that fire of just, there's just that excitement, that zeal, and then it tapers off, or it goes away, or other things come in? No, saints, we're on a race for his glory And we need to keep that fire lit that every single one of us, when we get to the end, can say, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. His assurance again in God and in who he is and the enemies. The ones that need vindication, he leaves it to God. We have a reminder from Paul to do this. Turn to Romans 12, where we are reminded, leave it to God. Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Show Christ as you trust Christ. Show Christ as you trust Christ. Your faith in him, your trusting him with whatever enemy, with whatever hardship, leave it there. Leave it in his hands. And where does this start? What comes before this? What we looked at when we talked about spirit and truth, being that living sacrifice anchored in the world that you're not conformed to the world because you're anchored in the word, not anchored in the world, to be clear, anchored in the word. And that's David, his faith and trust in God. And then he left it to God. I titled the message tonight, You Have, I Will. You have, God, given us promises. We have the word of God. Our I will, obey. You've given the promises, I will obey. That's where we need to train ourselves to be. And then when the adversity comes, show Christ as you trust Christ. As you strive for that Christ-likeness. As you remember the goal isn't looking like culture but looking like our Messiah, our King. And then verse 39, uh, 49, sorry. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his King and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. The victory psalm. The victory of the Lord and David. What does that psalm say? You gave it. You did it. You've done it. Through the good, through the bad, God was taking care of David. Guess what our Messiah 
King Jesus, God Father, Holy Spirit indwelling within us, does. Through the good, through the bad, he's got us. If you think of it, men, we're in uh, Jude. And I just want to read the beginning of that book because it paints exactly what we're a reminder for the believer the way Jude starts this. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. We're called, we're sanctified, we're set apart. Some translations for sanctified say beloved, we're beloved, we're sanctified, and we're preserved in Jesus Christ. So when we think of that, when we see all of that, therefore I will give thanks. Therefore, we're okay. We have the security. We have the anchoring. We have the rooting in that. Through the good, through the bad, we're preserved. Through the good, through the bad, we're sanctified. We're set apart. He's loving us. Why? He called us for his workmanship, for a life beforehand. Psalm 139, when we get there, we're going to get a newsflash. Every page of the life, we might be surprised. He's never surprised. He is never surprised. Even October 7th, what took place, our God is not surprised. Our God is in control and on the throne. And we must obey that call to prayer, that call to repentance, that call to seeking to be who we need to be for him. So when we think about that, when we look at verse 49 of this text, is your life a song that shows through the good and through the bad, I remain faithful to my king? Is your life a song with lyrics that say, Romans 8, 28, knowing he works it for the good? Have an activity tonight. Go home. Write the lyrics of your psalm of your life. What are the lyrics going to say? How are you going to portray the deliverance from God? How will you point to King Messiah as the only hope? What would you recount in your life that shows who he is? And what we see here also now, verse 49, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. We're going to see this come up when we look in the New Testament. Uh, It's going to be one of the first of the four Old Testament prophecies that Paul uses to explain that Christ came for the Jews and the Gentiles. Turn to Romans uh, 15 with me. And there we read in verse 7, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name our passage here. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Loud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see there, this is where one of those verses that comes in to do that. This is also, if you go back to three or four weeks ago when we started Psalm 18, I discussed how this psalm will sometimes be pointed to be a messianic psalm. People will look at it as a messianic psalm. This is that verse that starts, plants plants that seed. And then verse 50, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. 
the Davidic line to King Jesus. And you can see the promise that's laid here in 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 7, another homework read you can do if you'd like, where you can see all those set promises made that pave the way for Messiah, King Jesus. Which then, when we look at those last two verses, there's that tie to this being a messianic psalm. Now, here's the reality. I personally don't get too lost in figuring out, okay, can you clearly see Jesus in this? Because guess what? You can see Jesus on every page of the Bible. Truly, if we're going to be real, he's on every single page. But the reality is, when we look at this psalm, if you look at verses 1 through 6, it can allude to the death of Jesus. Because we saw the Sheol, the, the, the surrounding in Sheol, the pangs of death. Then verses 7 to 18 of this psalm would point to his resurrection. And we see the quaking of the earth. We see all of the turmoil that takes place on the physical earth, which we know the quaking before the resurrection. Verse 19 to 27 would point to his exaltation. Verses 28 to 42 point to his victory. And verses 43 to 50, the coming of Messiah's kingdom. The coming of Messiah's kingdom, which we see there. So again, we can have that pointing to this if we go through look just like that. Jesus is on each page of scripture, but we can clearly see the portraits of pointing to King Messiah through Psalm 18. And if we think about what Psalm 18 is, a song of deliverance, deliverance is truly in one, Christ alone. So we can see that portrait easily there. And David, what does he do? All that he has, all that took place, who was it from? God. For us, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Triune God. May all the glory go to him. Do we point that glory there at all times? So that concludes Psalm 18. We did it. We got through Psalm 18. Your charge now for this week as we meditate and ponder Psalm 18. One, the first two verses of this psalm, verses one and two. Pray that they become an anthem of your heart. Make them an anthem of your heart. That when you're near the end of Jesus calling you home or rapture is going to happen, verse 46 can be real. That you can just joyfully say, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. Take an inventory. If there's anything that hinders you from being able to do that, make the shifts that are needed. Have your life on the rock. Two, I encourage you, memorialize your walk with God. However you do that, decide to do it. And think of it that you're getting an inventory of what would be the lyrics for your song of praise unto King Jesus. And have that. And guess what? When the enemy tries to rifle you or sift you or you're getting in a place, oh, I just want to give up, open the word of God, see the promises of God, and then go to what you've memorialized your walk with God and realize those promises, I have evidence of them in my life. I have evidence of his faithfulness. Go back to that and dwell in that. Compare Psalm 18 to 2 Samuel 22. See the ways he's there, but read it and let yourself go there for that. Realizing that victory of salvation, we all have that first lyric that we can write, your birth story in Christ. And the third, pray for the stronghold of blindness to break upon people for salvation. Because the ultimate and most important deliverance is salvation. 
knowing your eternal state. And we saw in 2 Corinthians 10, it's strongholds. There's a stronghold of blindness in this world right now that just keeps people from God, keeps people from truth, from Jesus. Pray for that. Pray that people would be steadfast in Christ. Pray that people would seek him more and that there would be that faithful obedience in ourselves, in our body of believers, to Christ alone. Because if we keep that in check, we remember it's all for him, it's all for his glory. And we also tie that then to where we are in John. We get to be co-laborers with our king in the work of the harvest, in the work that he set forth with all authority given to him. And lo, he's with us as we do that to the end of the ages. The most important deliverance, salvation. So be in prayer for that. Psalm 18, done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this song of victory and deliverance from David, Lord. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help each and every single one of us to ponder and meditate on the songs of deliverance in our lives, Lord, unto salvation, unto relationship with you, and those journeys of growth, Lord, that each and every single one of us have had, Lord God. And Father, as we reflect on that, help us to remember every promise in your word is true. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And help us to hold to faithfulness in you, to trusting you, to obeying you. Lord, that we would realize every way of relationship that we want to have with you, loving you, serving you, worshiping you, praising you, exhorting you, everything comes from obeying you. Let our lives be that living sacrifice. Let us be anchored in your word. And Lord, may people come to know Jesus as Messiah, as King. May the truth be revealed, Lord. May the stronghold be broken. May we be in prayer for strongholds to be broken, Lord. That the blindness would be removed, the scales fall. Unto knowing you are. You've come and you are coming for your bride again. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a good night.